Hey yo, this is Greenskin Mango. Welcome everyone to the Gamango Show. I'm Gordon Meyer, chatting with you from Hong Kong. And I'm John Witcher, coming to you from the crossroads of America. Each episode, we'll be discussing creativity and life. We'll be drawing from our 30 years of collaborating together in so many creative endeavors, successes, failures, our influences, and our current inspirations. So let's get going with the Gamago Show. Gratitude, everybody, for listening. As we're now starting to open up globally, cinemas start returning with the dynamic and the nostalgic shared experiences that only movie theaters can bring us. And we're starting to head to the movies. I headed to the movies a couple weeks ago and saw Cruella. So I've already started going back to the movies. They don't serve food, which is bizarre. Hmm. Actually, worse, they serve food, but you can't eat it in the movie theater. You have to wear your mask the whole time. So there's something wrong with that. We'll figure that out soon enough, I guess. You know, the combination of the image and the score can affect us so deeply, and it's no surprise that we hold movie-going experiences so dear to our cultures. The creativity derived from the onset of the movie image has been astounding and so extraordinarily influential on how we tell our stories. But movies have a huge impact on us culturally, the universal story that we can all relate to. It's not something that you can pinpoint to one area. There's so many films from different countries that relates to our existence on Earth and how we share, you know, our feelings and emotions and understanding of our lives. It's it's amazing the influence that happens from so many different countries. And I, I really have enjoyed recently how America has been a little bit more open and embracing, you know, films from Asia, India, and films from all over the world, rather than just being stuck in that Hollywood rut and being fed the same things that, you know, you can get on Netflix. And it's really great to reach out and hear other voices from other people. Absolutely. And also with the pandemic, a lot of companies started opening up more to doing their own movies, specifically on that online platform, which was really great during the pandemic, you know, because obviously, you know, the theaters were closed and it had a huge Mm -hmm. impact on that industry. And to be able to grow into your own genres was a huge step growing specific genres is really incredible because now there is that ability to reach more people more specifically and i think a big part of that too is also being more diverse in casting as well and having films let's say about women written directed produced by women films about every other ethnicity there is in the world written directed produced and starring those ethnicities and then the inclusion of everybody into more films as well whereas roles don't have to be specific to a race or has to be specific to uh, certain sex and i mean like uh, even musicians and artists it's great that we're growing that yeah i was fortunate enough two years ago to meet with gina davis and is absolutely amazing yeah yeah she's absolutely amazing gina davis says if you can see it you can be it and she has part of her gina davis institute making sure that girls see in films, TV shows, etc., women being scientists, being the superheroes, being the director, being the writer, um, being involved in what typically are male roles, because they did the studies that proved only one in seven of the characters in TV shows and films are actually women. You know, obviously Thelma and Louise, hugely impactful film. 
I didn't have it on my initial list of influential films. It's not because of the story's not influential. I was thinking more of films that are so influential visually, unforgettable impact along with their scores or technological marvels that happened within these films. There's a long list of that even, but story obviously is important. And I think that's an amazing credit to, to what Gina Davis has been doing. Oh, absolutely. And with films, I mean, there are so many that are just impactful. I mean, you could just go on forever and just touch on. Exactly. There were a lot of films that I had thought about that had a huge impact on my life. Flash Gordon, you know, with Queen, Labyrinth, my introduction to David Bowie, Indiana Jones, and so many Richard mm. Pryor movies. But truthfully, I'd say the movie that had the most impact on me is The Breakfast Club, the 1985 wow. John Hughes film, The Breakfast Club. I was 12 years old when the movie came out. So much of what happened in the film had an impact on me. I could relate to so much of what was going on, you know, the pressure, in the very beginning, the principal says, you think John Bender's funny? You wanna see funny? Go see John Bender in five years. The way I was in high school, a lot yeah. of people I think probably had that that feeling about me, you know? I mean, eventually I got my MBA, but, but in the beginning, I mean, I dropped out of high school, you know, serious drug and alcohol abuse terrible mental health issues and, and, and suffering with a disability. And, you know, it was really debilitating. They didn't even really care about what was going on in the lives of these kids or, you know, how, what had happened in their lives. They were just concerned with how, how they were doing at school. And being a career coach, I understand that a lot of what's going on in kids' lives have an impact on, on everything that they ever do now or ever will do. It struck a chord in me. So many John Hughes films did. A lot of times I'll just sort of cut to the chase about the upbringing that I had and just say, you ever see the movie Breakfast Club? That's what it was like when I went to school. If you were an artist, then you were the freak. And well, the, if you were a jock, you were treated this way. If you were, you know, bender. But, but the beautiful thing is, you know, that in the movie, they discover that every one of them has a little piece of, of this in them. I think that's great because in those years, you're experiencing all those things. You may have been the jock, or the nerd, you know, or the criminal, the prom queen, the basket case. You know, you may be all these different things and so many people don't understand what's going on and it really hit home with me. They're teenage kids growing up in the same place, experiencing mostly the same things. Their individual lives, how they, how their parents treat them is what's affecting them the most. Yeah. None of them have really gained a lot of control over themselves. They've followed the expectations of their parents and of their friends. And that's what they all realize is that they can actually be themselves and be their individual selves and grow in that way rather than being a product of their social status or, or, or what they're being told to do. And another thing that I thought was really beautiful in the movie, too, is it's called The Breakfast Club. Through the movie, they're all talking about the different clubs they're in. The academic mm -hmm. guy, he's in the Latin club and the physics club. And, you know, um, the prom queen, you know, she's in the, this just these social clubs. And they're all kind of being made fun of because they're in these different kind of clubs. And then they all end up being The Breakfast Club. And I, I really like that. What unites them is that they're all in detention together. Yeah, it, it doesn't, doesn't matter. matter why they're there. It doesn't matter why they're there, and actually the, the education system doesn't care either, you know? No. <laughs> yeah, that's a fantastic uh, choice. And I think that's one of those that you and I really relate to as far as how we were growing up. 
where we grew up and in the time period that we grew up, I mean, you don't have anything really like that to relate to now because kids no. don't grow up in that same, in that culture at all. And there are still pressures, unreal pressures. I mean, even with social media and things now, it's probably maybe even stronger. But, but yeah, that, that's a snapshot of what it was like when we were in high school. So we go from 1985's Breakfast Club to 1986. Blue Velvet is my pick of influence. I wouldn't say it's my favorite film, but as far as something that just shocked me into seeing things in a whole new way, this film takes the cake for it. Interesting that both of our films are during the Reagan era and paint this sort of (laughs) picture of the duality of what everybody wanted to see during the 80s, you know, of, of this is the representation of America. But they completely missed what was actually really going on and what people were dealing with personally. You know, it's pretty amazing that, you know, we all kind of know this now. But during the time, it was almost like a fight, you know, similar to what you always have with political tensions. But I think it was so socially prevalent in the 80s that it was, you know, was hard to hide, especially in film, where in order to make movies that had any depth, you had to go from that veneer that's on the shining 80s outside and the MTV and everything else, you know, to what was actually going on in the inside, which was all sorts of chaos. (laughs) Blue Velvet is one of David Lynch's seminal works which followed after The Elephant Man which was more a documentary but brilliantly done and Racerhead which was sort of the start of film noir categorization Lynch has a way of being incredibly destabilizing and rather shocking in ways that seem almost normal it almost seems funny in the sense in ways that he does these things something that's that's most important about what Lynch does he usually brings to light the basics in life the good the evil the love that permeates oftentimes it's about transcendence or how your character in life changes a transformation Blue Velvet has Kyle McLaughlin in one of his earliest roles um, Isabella Rossellini Dennis Hopper young Laura Dern as well It begins in a quintessential American town called Lumberton. Again, part of that facade of what Americana after the 50s is like with the picket fences and the children waving and the fire trucks go by. And the the very first sequence is, you know, a guy that's watering the flowers in his yard and he has a stroke and falls to the ground. And as he falls to the ground, the camera follows from him falling to the ground and then it submerges underground from below the green grass and the sun down into the soil where the insects are hungrily munching below. And I think it's just the most beautiful intro to what this film is going to be about. I won't get too deep into the storylines or anything like that, but you know, it's a story which, you know, you're introduced to Kyle McLaughlin, whose father was the guy that had the stroke while watering his yard. He's back from college and he finds an ear. ear, ear. So if that hasn't disrupted you, you know that you're going to be on a ride for this film. So he finds an ear in the field and basically wants to find out where the ear comes from. And his friend, who is played by Laura Dern, is the daughter of the detective that takes on the case. 
and they find out more about where the ear comes from and about this police case, which leads Kyle McLaughlin into some shady places that he never expected to go. Along this route of investigation, he learns to get into people's apartments and find out about people. One of these is played by Isabella Rossellini, who is a singer by the name of Dorothy, which is an allusion to The Wizard of Oz, of course, because David Lynch usually makes some allusion to Wizard of Oz because it's one of the most transformational films of all time, both visually and in the story. Her name's Dorothy. She's a lounge singer, and she's been caught up into this mix with uh, some really evil people, one of the most evil being Dennis Hopper. Jeffrey breaks into her place to find out some more information by being an exterminator. <laughs> Gets the key for the place and, and breaks in, and when he sneaks in, he's surprised by her returning home, and he has to jump into a closet. And while he's in the closet, the evil Dennis Hopper comes along with Dorothy. Jeffrey's the voyeur in the closet watching as Dennis Hopper sexually has his way with Isabella Rossellini, basically in exchange for her being allowed to hear her son who's been kidnapped by him. So it's the worst evils you can put together. And the way that David Lynch has always portrayed sex in films is never about sex. It's never about being turned on by the sex. It's a very easy understanding that this is not what this is about. This is a power struggle. This is people being taken advantage of. This is a lot of the reality that goes on in the world every day that's being exposed in a way that is not in any way, shape or form something for you to be turned on by. And that's very clear in any film that he does. It's not gratuitous in any way. This is part of a story that, you know, needs to be told, you know, need to be understood as that. This is good and evil. This is a power struggle. So Jeffrey's caught up in seeing this. Of course, he's shocked. He's never seen anything like this. Uh, you know, the, what goes through his head is, you know, he needs to protect her. He needs to get rid of this evil Dennis Hopper character. But... Dorothy finds him in the closet after Frank leaves. And then she turns into the person that is wielding the knife against him as he's the stranger that's in her closet. What's he doing there? Is he getting off and watching them? You know, who is this terrible person that Jeffrey's now become to her? And she then basically uses him the same way that she's being used by Dennis Hopper but not in an evil sense. Jeffrey's moral compass is switched in this instant where he's meeting with her. She's expecting things out of him that he's never done before. And he doesn't know how to deal with that, obviously. He wants to save her from her problems. He doesn't know any other way to do, to do that other than to get more involved in the situation, find out more about the evil Dennis Hopper character, and um, try and somehow get her out of the situation she's in and get her back with her son and her husband that have been kidnapped. That's a moralistic tale, basically, of, of Jeffrey, who's, who's just come home from college. You know, he's gotten now more deeply involved in Laura Dern's character, who's the daughter of the detective, and they start becoming this couple, you know, and they have a very wholesome, pure relationship until one day Dorothy shows up on 
his doorstep, you know, completely naked after she's been abused and she's crying out for Jeffrey and holding him and kissing him. And Laura Dern's face just melts with the surprise. And like, I can't believe that you know this woman and you've obviously been with her. And how could you keep this from me? And until she realizes later on that Jeffrey's actually been doing something really difficult and something that he doesn't know how to manage. And he's only really doing it to help her. He didn't really want to be a part of that, but she forgives him. And a critical part of this film that was so often overlooked when it first came out was this film is about good and evil and our acceptance and our forgiveness without having judgment over people because there's the light side of the town and the dark side of the town and Jeffrey's told not to go over to these dark side of towns and here he is in those darkest depths of town in which some of the police are even involved in this kidnapping and then it paints a full picture of what's really going on in the world at the time you know even in this small town that nothing is perfect but if we can find acceptance if we can find forgiveness of people then it makes the world all the more beautiful and in the end of course Isabella Rossellini does get her child back Jeffrey has to kill the bad guy and everyone's reunited in the end and the world is a better place but yeah it takes a lot of that acceptance and forgiveness and understanding of other people and their situations to really bring about the true meaning of this film rather than these shocking views that you see and what critics like to talk about as being exploitive and but these things are real subjects these things really do happen and i really appreciate the face and the beauty that david lynch puts on this with intelligence and with um, imaginative story and creativity it really blows my mind at how well he was able to string a story that that had so many pieces into something so basic as love and forgiveness and compassion and working for a better world that we live in for everybody not just the people you're comfortable with so in a way it's a lot like the breakfast club it is all about understanding and and relating and once you understand other people's stories you know you can relate to those and you can help each other out the score in the film by Angela Battlemente who Lynch works with you know throughout his career especially in Twin Peaks which would soon come after Ooh. this film yeah yeah that's that's you know that that dreamlike quality that's in the backgrounds you know that you hear and it's, it's quite suspenseful and it's pretty amazing that the two have a a certain chemistry not unlike what Hitchcock had with Bernard Herrmann the two were almost inseparable you know you you see the film and you hear the music such as like psycho you, everyone knows the background music for psycho and things that, and films like north by northwest you can hear the music playing in the background as you visualize just small parts of the film and i think that's what david lynch does really well too is he he can put the the visual to the sound and yet still have an incredible amount of sensitivity that's involved there one of the things about David Lynch's creativity that he attributes to is his practice of transcendental meditation. For wow. his film career, even took off. He was an artist, and he started practicing TM way back when. That's a big part of where he finds his creativity and his story. His stories seem to be from a different world, and they don't usually have a, a linear narrative that goes along with them. And 
that is all part of that dreamlike quality, I think, that, that he gains from meditation and gaining some sort of a, a visual that relates to an overall profound, basic meaning for his films and his stories. Wow. The beauty, though, you know, in his films is, is staggering, though. He's one of the most incredible directors and able to really catch some visually stunning moments. Um, we'll put some of those up on our ads and on the website as well, but almost every frame is just visually stunning. That's one of the things that you take away from it. And it's also one of the things that lets you know how serious all the elements of the story actually are, you know, in, in what he's doing. And uh, one of the things I like about uh, his material as well is every time you watch it, you catch something new. At, at least I do. Something that you didn't see the first time that you're like, wow. It's really interesting that you picked The Breakfast Club and Blue Velvet because they're two huge movies for their time. And yeah. it's amazing that they relate so well to the age that they represent, you know, of, of teenagers, you know, finding themselves in this world that they're in. It's really, really incredible. It's really great that we both find that. And not something we did intentionally. I, I, I think that, well, <laughs> we, we've just had, yep. I, I think that the profound influence we've had on each other just continues to, to spill out as we, as we move forward. So, John, as far as like your own personal creativity, is there anything like in the Breakfast Club that has an effect creatively? I mean, maybe in maybe in the time that you saw it or even now, is there anything that helps you? Oh, oh absolutely. Um, one of the things that I do when I write, most of my books have, you know, a human element to the character, whether it's whether they're superheroes or whether, it, you know, it's hometown type of material that I write. But uh, just that human feeling, you know, that. I like for you to to know the the human side of the characters, you know, mm -hmm. their flaws and the things that have made them this way, and you know the things that uh, will continue to influence them as they go out. And I think a lot of that comes from a lot of the like the Breakfast Club and a lot of uh, uh, you know the films that I saw in that era, where you have diverse characters and from different backgrounds, and they all have to relate to each other. That's yeah, absolutely. Well, I, yeah, I can especially see that. What about you? Yeah, for sure. Um, David Lynch and even Angelo Badalamente. Now that I'm doing a lot of scores for the mm, podcast yeah. now, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely part of the dreamlike quality that I like to represent, you know, and a little bit of this mystery and the dark shadows that, that happen in, in suburban America where we're both from. Yeah, yeah. those subdivision paintings that I did. Oh, and, yeah. Us. A lot of the ones that subsequently followed have a lot to do with what's on earth and then what's also happening in the sky and capturing the moment that you're seeing in this picture. It's a lot yeah. about that, you know, so yeah, I think yeah. that's, that's, it's an important part of transcendental meditation and that philosophy of, of living in moments and being aware of all things around you that also affects what I do as well. It's, it's an incredible part of living creatively, being aware of the moment, and also finding a way to communicate that to everyone of that awareness, being aware of others, being aware of yourself, being aware of where we live and the time that we live. It's a critical part of creativity. It's how you tell that story and how you show your own vision. That's what really matters. 
it's so great to like have these episodes where we talk about the things that really inspire us and make us more creative and think more creatively the creative process as far as like physically doing things that are creative versus the way that we're communicating now about creativity as being a thought process of being something that you do all the time with everything that you do you know finding ways to better what you do through creativity to ask questions you know rather than just solve the problem actually ask questions of what would be best to do and that applies to everything that you can do in life absolutely and everybody's a little different what will work for them and uh, we hope that you get a little insight out of this or find something that you know you enjoy and can take away from it yeah it's your unique story you know and that's the beauty of it you know we all have differences and exactly what we're talking about today those differences are what make things really interesting and really beautiful because we're all just humans here on this planet trying to survive you know and we find that creativity is one of the ways that make the world a little bit more beautiful and full of love thank you all for joining us as always it's a real pleasure yes thanks sending this out to the world and we're so grateful for everybody joining us and please send us your feedback we'd love to hear from you All right. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you soon. Yep. Thanks so much. Become a subscriber to the Ganango Show Creative for Life and visit the podcast site for more links and info. You can also visit the website of greenskinmango.com for our awesome streetwear, eclectic music, and comedy. Go be creative. Be creative. Be creative.